Bottle Episode is a spirited podcast about spiritist libations. Those under their country's legal drinking age should turn off this podcast and go do their homework. everybody, and welcome to the first ever episode of Bottle Episode, the professional bartender's guide for the cocktail enthusiast. I am your host, Lan Tollison. I'm a bartender based in Austin, Texas. And y'all, I am so excited for my guest tonight. She really needs no introduction, but I'll give her one anyway, because if you don't know who she is, you definitely should. Uh, she is the manager of Drinkwell, a neighborhood cocktail bar in North Austin, one half of the cocktail pop-up Daijobu, purveyors of super Asian cocktails, and to top it all off, her cocktail, the Paper Crane, was recently featured in Masa Uroshido's wonderful new cocktail book, The Japanese Art of the Cocktail. It's Care Maiko, everybody. How you doing, Care? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing just fine. I've got uh, the cocktail that we're going to talk about today uh, in front of us. I guess I should, this is the first episode, so I guess I should tell our listeners what it is that we're doing here. Every other week, I'm going to bring on a guest and we're going to talk about a classic cocktail uh, and also give a little bit of advice for entertaining uh, cocktail tips uh, and maybe a little bit of bar etiquette as well. Uh, We're going to try to keep it... uh, sociable and and non-pretentious because uh there's a little bit too much of that out there we don't need as that it is. we don't need that at all um so that's uh that's what we're here to do and uh yeah so uh care what cocktail are we talking about today uh i wanted to talk about the jungle bird one of my all-time favorites lovely and the jungle bird is is a wonderful cocktail it's, it's such sort of like it's it's an interesting cocktail in the like tiki spectrum Absolutely. the tropical cocktail spectrum yeah why, why why were you drawn to the jungle bird um well it's always been one of my favorite cocktails despite being a cocktail that there's a lot that people find to dislike about it like it's boozy yet refreshing it's bitter and sweet like people who have a very specific palate they don't get down with this cocktail you need to be malleable and like all sorts of flavors to get into yeah. it but those are my absolutely. absolute favorite drinks drinks that like can do six things at once those are those are the heavy lifting drinks oh, absolutely. so i want to give them uh the credit that they're due. Yeah, and we are. Uh, so I'm going to post your favorite recipe for this because you, every cocktail has so many different ways that you can make it. Absolutely. Uh, and so I'm going to post your Jungle Bird specs, uh, the ones that you prefer to drink, in the show notes in the description of the podcast, so that all of our listeners, uh, such as they are for this first episode, uh, will have a way to replicate what it is that we are drinking here what are the building blocks of this cocktail well i guess the required ingredients in my brain you need lime usually what we do is a half ounce of lime uh Mm -hmm. pineapple is key uh where i feel a lot of people go wrong is they get scared with the pineapple and they just put like a half ounce you need you need an ounce and a half you need a bold amount of pineapple in this drink um where people tend to get scared is campari a half ounce of campari is very very important uh you could even go 0.75 i could like a bold bold campari jungle bird um and then where you get to really make some creative choices is your rum. But if you don't have any blackstrap in your jungle bird, then it's not a jungle bird to me. Yeah, you don't have a jungle bird if you don't have any blackstrap in there. Yeah. So I would say at least a half ounce of blackstrap and then at least an ounce of another aged rum. Um, but like a lot of tropical cocktails, you can really play with those proportions depending on what you like. But I'm usually about a, a half ounce to an ounce and a half there. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, let's like this. This is a very polarizing cocktail. Um, we share a little bit of history. We didn't work at the same place at the same time. But currently, I am a an employee of the Roosevelt Room in Austin, Texas. And you used to work there as well. Um, and we're using pretty much their recipe. Yeah, well, um, I was part because of because it's. It's perfect. It's so good. Yeah, it's, it's really good. <laughs> I was part of the team that got to uh, rework the the classic cocktail recipes, which was 
an intense experience by all means, but I came out of it being like, I'm fairly certain that I know exactly what my favorite spec for these, what, 70 cocktails are. Uh, I think I think it's 53, but it's an insane amount of cocktails on our menu. Yeah. But the Jungle Bird happens to also be, I think, the drink that is sent back the most. Oh, absolutely. At the Roosevelt Room, because a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, it's in like we, we separate our cocktails by eras. So it's like the Tiki era. The Jungle Bird. Oh, it's got lime. It's got pineapple juice, rum. Absolutely. Uh, and I've learned to be like, have you heard of Campari? <laughs> so do you know Campari? Yeah. Or even or I feel like uh, the way that some of my coworkers do it is like, oh, so we got a Campari fan here instead of like insulting people. It's more like, so we got a Campari fan here. And if people are like, oh, no, what's Campari? That's when you, you know. know. All right, listen. Yeah. You may not you may want to change your order. And so let's talk about Campari a little yeah. bit because it is an odd ingredient in a, a tropical cocktail like this. Uh you want to give us a little bit of of history on Campari or what it is? Um, well, I can talk to you about how I usually describe it to a guest, but I feel like there's a lot of history that I don't necessarily know if I have the exact information on it. I don't want to be quoted on a podcast for inexact information. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. But usually when I'm talking to someone and they've never had Campari, they've never had a Negroni or a Siesta or a Jungle Bird, um, Mm -hmm. I like to describe it as the if you took a peel of grapefruit and orange, both the juicy outside and the bitter inside, and turn that into liquid, that is Campari to me. That is that is a description that I've never heard before. Um, I feel like that it's, works. it's very approachable if you don't know anything about alcohol. And I don't... Absolutely. I, and that works way better than my description, which is, it's a bittersweet kind of orangey. <laughs> Uh, yeah like it's it's pretty bitter and it makes your drink like a little medicinal i almost like try to scare people away from campari because i'm scared they're gonna like hate it yeah even though i i think campari is a wonderful ingredient oh i'm a campari and talking about campari and soda drinker like i love my campari Ah, but uh yeah i think it's important I like to usually mention that it is kind of polarizing. People who love it, love it. Like, Negroni has a whole day because people love Campari so much. A whole week, even. Yeah, exactly. It's a big deal. Um, yeah. But if it's your first time drinking that style of cocktail, definitely can be a little overwhelming. And I think that when people's expectations are closer to reality, whether they like it or not, they're not as upset by it, you know? Like, Absolutely. They, they know what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, ooh, like this tropical drink with all of these these uh, things that I recognize and I'm pretty sure I know what this cocktail is going to taste like. Ooh, what's that bitter thing? Exactly. Uh, and it plays so well with the Blackstrap rum, which has a hint of bitterness to it as well. Uh, I... I love this drink a lot, uh, but it is it is it's a, a little bit of a polarizing one to do as the first episode. Yeah. But I, you know, I feel like Let's just, it is also a we're going for sort it. of misunderstood. Yeah, we're going for it. And it's a bit of a misunderstood cocktail, I think. And so uh, we're here to set the record straight. Yes. I'll happily talk about uh, this drink any day. Absolutely. Um, we had to learn all about the history of this drink and all of the other drinks at the Roosevelt room. Uh, so I had to take a test on it and then I forgot it all. Yeah. Do you remember, I remember a lot of it? Um, I think it was 1970s Malaysia. If I remember correctly, that, that sounds right. I believe, I'm looking it up. I believe it was at a hotel in Malaysia. Okay. Uh, one of the other reasons I wanted to talk about this drink is because I am obviously, as we mentioned, the co-founder of Dajibu Pop-Up. And we yes. talk a lot about Asian cocktails. And I've been, you know, getting a lot of press around what are Asian cocktails. And it's not really a fully defined thing. But it's funny when you think about the the cocktails that were first made in Asia or by Asian American people. (laughs) There aren't many. Uh, And the Jungle Bird is technically one of them because it was made in Malaysia. I would never consider this a particularly Asian cocktail considering how it has two different kinds of rum, not from Asia, a bitter Italian uh, aperitif liqueur, and then citrus that I guess is kind of from Asia. Uh, But it's it's not particularly Asian by any means, but 
It is originally from Malaysia, so in its own weird way, it counts. Yeah, uh, that's that's really cool. Um, I actually did want to talk to you a little bit about Daijobu and and uh, how that all came together and what your plans are for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Lynn, you're newer to Austin, so you weren't here in 2019, but let's start from the beginning, right? You weren't, I'm guessing? No, no, I wasn't. I moved here mid-pandemic. I called myself a local earlier in this thing, and I live here locally now. <laughs> I, I don't. I still don't feel like an Austin local, even though uh, I'm doing my best to immerse myself. It's hard safely during a pandemic to immerse yourself. Yeah. Um, well, I've been in Austin for about seven years now, and uh, in 2019, I was working at the Roosevelt Room with uh, the then lead bartender Sharon Young, uh, and she and I had done a cocktail competition together where we made a cocktail inspired by the flavors of orange chicken and then we won that cocktail competition nationally and we're like wow that's pretty cool uh we should probably do more weird cocktails using asian flavors considering how i'm half japanese she's first generation chinese american we grew up with all these cool things and not enough people are using them and especially using them correctly um yeah so in the last three ish years yeah, it'll be three years in like a month. That's wild. Um, in the last three years, we've made, I don't know, at least 50, if not 60 cocktails um, based off the idea of using Asian flavor, culture, ingredients, um, and people as our inspiration. Uh, and we've thrown dozens of events uh, throughout Texas uh, celebrating Asian flavors, culture, and people. Uh in the bar world. And recently, uh, my co-founder, Sharon, she moved to Seattle, uh, which has obviously been difficult in terms of doing more events in Austin, but is really great in terms of doing more events around the country, which has really been our plan since really the beginning of 2020. We were supposed to, mm -hmm. in 2020, do a, a tour of California. And that well, you got Bruce. Yeah, we got Bruce. We have this bus. He's ready to make cocktails in him, and he's ready to drive around. He could probably use a, a new engine before we drive it cross country. <laughs> but uh, everything else is brand new in him uh, through mostly the work of my, my husband, who has taken apart that bus as much as anyone who is not a mechanic can. Um, so hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll be able to drive Bruce around, but we're actually hoping to be doing a couple of events in the next few months in California. Fingers crossed, no more, no more COVID outbreaks. Um, and then theoretically, maybe in New York as well. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. That would be amazing. Uh, yeah, we miss Sharon dearly. I worked with her for a little bit at the Roosevelt Room as well, uh, and she is just a full-on badass. Yeah, just the best. My favorite person outside of the people yeah. who I've legally decided to make my family. Mm, for sure. Uh, so yeah, no, Daijobu is is awesome, and and I love the idea of like re reclaiming like super Asian cocktails. Uh, it's it's been awesome. I've been to a few of your pop ups, and I've really enjoyed every single one. The the crazy rich lychee martini was maybe my favorite that I've had. Uh, I had uh, a, a bartender I very much respect. Um, Trey Jenkins told me it was his favorite cocktail of the year when I gave it to him in 2019 and then posted on Instagram, Lychee Martini for president. So I was, <laughs> I was very happy awesome. and I was like, okay, I did this right. Awesome. So that, that was that was one of yours? Yes, that is. Uh, awesome. Me and Sharon collaborate on almost every drink, but I would say there are some that I put my hand on a little more and some that she puts her hand on a little more every once in a while we'll get a full 50 50 collaboration and those mm -hmm. ones honestly are usually the best but uh yeah yeah it's that one was was slightly more in my camp well cool uh so let's talk a little bit about your background and what you like what drew you to this industry and what drew you to uh bartending and hospitality in general absolutely um i think that i i very much naturally, my personality leaned into things like hospitality. Um, nothing brings me more joy than make other people happy. And uh, what makes people happier than food and beverage and kind conversation? Uh, Absolutely. But I started bartending when I was 21. I was in college and I'd already been hostessing and picking up a couple serving shifts um, when I was in school in Boston. 
And the bar I was at was very close to Fenway Park, the historic baseball stadium. Uh, mm-hmm. And one day they were like, hey, do you know how to bartend? We realized we didn't have any girls behind the bar. And I was like, now looking back on it, wow, I can't believe that's the reason <laughs> I got invited. But that's fine. Uh, I got there. Uh, and I was like, no, I literally am turning 21 like next week. And so they're like, okay, uh, why don't we bring you for a trading shift one day and see how you do? And uh, I did much better than literally any of us would have imagined. I, it, it made sense very quickly. Um, my brain took to memorizing recipes very quickly. I liked the thrill of service well. Uh, I love talking to people. It all worked out very well. Um, unfortunately, that bar closed, um, but I was the only person from that staff to be moved to a different restaurant within the same restaurant group and continued working with them for another two and a half years until I moved to Austin. Um, and then when I moved to Austin, uh, I should preface all of this by saying I went to school for film and animation, and this whole the whole time I was in college and post-college, I was like, oh, I'm going to bartend so I can afford to send my film to festivals and I can Tight. keep doing my uh, freelance work. Um, the really fun thing about animation, especially traditional animation, which is what I specialized in, uh, is that there isn't a lot of that happening these days. Uh, yeah. Unless you are working for Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks like in digital, fully digital 3D animation, there's not a lot of work, especially not a, work in, a lot of work in the United States. Most of the 2D yeah, animation is being sent over to like Korea right now, which is fine. They do a great job, but I'm mm-hmm. not an animator in Korea. So uh, yeah. I got a little bit of exciting press for my thesis work. I did a couple little commercials, but what I quickly learned is one person is not enough of a force to make things in the time that most uh, of the contracts required. Um, And I wasn't being paid enough for the amount of work that I was doing because there were limitations to the quality that I, as an individual, could even produce. Uh, So I continued to do that for a while. But uh, when I moved to Austin, I was lucky enough to get a position at Peche, which is probably one of the few, like, independently owned cocktail bars left in Austin, other than the ones that we work at. Yeah. They're not a met, not a lot of them, um, but I'm I'm racking my brain right now and I can't think of any others. There there are very few, and the ones that exist. Mid- uh, Midnight Cowboy. Midnight Cowboy just got sold, uh, so mm. I guess like the Cavalier and Kitty Cohen slash uh, High Noon would be the only other ones, but they're much newer. Um, yeah, Pesce is on year twelve or thirteen or something insane like that. Yeah, they're they're like an Austin establishment yeah. at this point. Um, I actually, I still haven't been. What? I need to go. It's right down the street from okay. there. Well, yeah. after the world is safer and I can go out without being scared of getting my kids sick, uh, then we'll go to Peche and it'll be a great time. Yeah, absolutely. Let's definitely do that. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough to get a job there. And um, I would say they're very much, you know, a place where you could learn a lot. They have a massive back bar, a pretty big menu. It's a great, you know, if you got to do college bartending, that's probably a good place to, to do it. Um, and while I was there, uh, I learned a ton Um, And I started doing cocktail competitions, and I quickly learned that if I wanted to use my creative side um, within the realm of cocktails instead of just the realm of animation and storytelling, um, I would do quite well. So that has continued to grow. Uh, I won a couple competitions while I was there. That drew the attention of the owners of the Roosevelt Room, who we have mentioned already. Um, Mm -hmm. Spent a couple years over at the Roosevelt Room, uh, which similarly to uh, Pesce, I would consider like the PhD of cocktail experiences to work at. Yeah, Yeah. it's pretty wild. Uh, At least a master's, if not a PhD. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So... Uh, after a couple years there, uh, I moved on to a place called Last Straw very briefly because uh, I moved there a month and a half before the pandemic started. Uh, mm. And it was sadly one of the bars that didn't make it through. Um, but that did give me an opportunity to work with Jessica Sanders, who was at that point the uh, beverage director for the group that owned that bar. And I have now moved over to the bar that she privately owns, Drinkwell, which I have been a part of for a little over a year, where I am... I think my technical title is uh, bar director and general manager, although it seems too grand for anything that I personally do at the moment. 
Well, I went there literally last night uh, before I dropped you off this microphone. Uh, and it was lovely. We had a lovely time and the cocktails there are always amazing. And the experience is always great. Uh, yeah, we have a great little team. I'm particularly proud of, of the amazing little group of humans that we have curated who I just love spending time with, which makes a bar a lot better. Yeah, having a nice team and a, a, a group of people who are like not only professional, but also just like good to be around uh, makes for a really nice, uh, a really nice time. Uh, that's actually I that reminded me of something that I've been meaning to ask. I've been meaning to ask you about this just as a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also uh, something that I think is a cool thing that you guys do. Um, you guys do a, a a 20% employee wellness charge, which is not a gratuity. It's a different thing. Exactly. Tell me a little bit about that. So um, when the pandemic started, uh, a lot of us were pulling these shifts that were mostly to go. And if you were in the the before times, we were making what? Two thirteen an hour, five dollars an hour. For those yep, who something around who that. don't work in the service industry, if you're listening, other than California, I believe every single state has a tipped wage, which is under ten dollars. Something very mean, small. Less than the federal minimum. Yes, wage. it's like between two and five dollars typically. Yeah. Uh, tip your bartenders. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we were to go in for a shift and we'd be sitting around and not doing a ton of sales, you would still only be making, you know, what, 50 bucks a day max? Yeah. Like you were making a, a money that could could sustain you. Um, and our owner didn't feel okay with asking people to come in and work and not be able to make a living. Uh, so she decided to add a 20% employee wellness charge. And this is a number that was kind of a ballpark that would allow us to afford everyone on staff at least making $15 an hour, providing at least some sort of health care. Originally, it was a a clinic that we all had access to, that we had free access to. Um, Now she has gotten us full-on health care, which is great, dental and everything. Um, awesome. And also provided us with some of the protective wear we needed, whether it was by us masks or gloves or whatever, whatever additional costs that came with working during a pandemic, um, which was great. And I think it, it really changed the game for a lot of us. It was a little hard to describe to people at first because most people expected it to just be a gratuity. Um, and it is in the sense like, now, at least everyone is making $15 an hour no matter what. If one person stiffs me, it's really not the end of the world. Um, and it makes gratuity more of gratuity. It's a tip. It's an option. It's it's something you add on because someone did a good job rather than the things that they need that the theoretically the restaurant should be paying them for. Like, the restaurant hires people to work and to to be in the bar from this time to this time. So... Why are the guests paying for that? Yeah, it's pretty wild the the fact that like it's it's such a a broken structure and like I I'm trying not to make this like a full on industry podcast, yeah. but it all it is also like stuff that people don't know. Yeah. Like people straight up don't know. Like listeners, if you're not in the bar industry, you may not know that we that like my hourly wage is like more than most and it's five dollars an hour which is less than the minimum the federal minimum wage and like we rely on tips to pay rent and like most places like i used to work at a place where we got cash tips like all of our credit card tips and everything we were given cash at the end of the night um they would hand us cash at the end of the night and then i would go deposit Mm -hmm. it at the bank uh i would get a paycheck that paycheck was zero dollars I would get a paycheck for zero dollars pretty much every two weeks. And which is wild because my my like hourly income didn't cover or just barely covered taxes. Uh, So it's it's nothing actually and there's functionally functionally nothing nothing. uh and there's a lot more we could honestly get into that i don't know if it now is necessarily the time but listeners if you're interested please look up the racist history of tipping um there are a lot of articles about how the reason why uh tipping even exists is a post-slavery uh 
model, essentially, um, which I am not a historian. I'm not the person to tell you about this, but there are lots of articles and historical documents that can actually tell you about this history. Um, but I straight up didn't even know. Oh, yeah. That. So I'll, I'm learning. We'll, we'll talk later. I'll send you articles. It's great. Yeah. Absolutely. Please send me articles. And uh, if you send me any articles, uh, I will link them in the show description as well. So if anybody has interest in further reading, I can I can uh, link that in and you can do your own research. Yeah, it's it's good stuff to at least know. Uh, But yeah, we've uh, applied that. And yes, we're being tipped slightly less, but we're still I've never seen a night where we were under 10 percent. So I'd probably say some nights is almost like it was before because people still stiffed you before <laughs> we had the charge yeah. it would still happen so sometimes if you had a not great night and one or two tables decided to not tip you like they should you'd still make your 15 percent instead of your 20 and there are definitely days we get over that so um it honestly has been great um the people who love it love it the amount of people who like write on the check we love this it makes us so happy we're glad that we're uh supporting a place that takes care of their employees amazing like once a month you'll have someone who like really gets into it and is like i don't like this and i'm like okay go somewhere else i am sorry this is how we take care of our employees and we're literally the only bar in town that does this like, so you could your options you could go are anywhere. wild um <laughs> and it's it's really funny because the majority of the time when people try to argue it, they're like, well, then why didn't you make everything more expensive instead? Why am I paying this separate charge? And I'm like, literally, this would be this would be no different. You'd not be paying more or less money either way. You're just upset by this charge being for people. It's like, yep. and, and that's when we get to the point where I was like, okay, well, then you're probably not necessarily the kindest person. And as much as I want to make everyone feel welcome in my bar, maybe you should patron people who are more tolerant of uh, your being a jerk to my staff. Yeah, it's I mean, it it does kind of boil down to that. And it's such a it's such a weird dichotomy because I really do like. Uh, your story is similar to mine, but I was doing music oh. and I also found the creativity of bartending uh, to be this huge boon in my life where I was like, oh, I can be creative and make money. That's awesome. Uh, and so I kind of fell into cocktail bartending that way because I thought that bartending would just be like a cool thing to do with flexible hours. <laughs> I, I, had n- I had no idea that I would fall in love with it and the hours aren't actually that flexible at no, all. Quite the opposite, <clears throat> but you know. But that's what they tell you. Yeah, that's what they say. That's how you get in the door. They're like, oh, yeah, it's really chill. You'll pour some beers and some shots, and and you'll make cash at the end of the night. And, you know, you can take time off whenever you'd like. And then 10 years later. And, <laughs> yeah, here I am signing contracts. and Yeah. Uh, man, it's but it was something that I fell into because of the creativity aspect of it. But it's also like I like creating things for people people Mm -hmm. and at the core of that is my desire to make people feel good uh and so hospitality is so extremely important to me and and making people feel welcome and seen is so important to me so it's so hard to like the idea of of like you know sometimes people are just jerks and it's hard to like sometimes in the moment it's hard to like rest the the idea of like I want to make people feel good from the idea of like, well, some people are just jerks and you can't please everybody. Uh, and it's takes a, it took me a while to not take that sort of stuff personally. It's hard. It's hard when your entire like career is centered on this idea of I make people feel good. I provide them the service of delicious food and beverage and kindness and an appealing space. And for some reason, this one person doesn't seem happy or to like me in any way it makes you yeah. feel not very good at your job even if you're incredibly good at your job yeah and i know for a fact that you are incredibly good at your job uh and i i think i'm pretty good at mine as well uh so why don't we do the thing about our job that we do the most which is making drinks we'll uh take a little break uh and come back and talk a little bit about entertaining uh and and the art of drinking well, etiquette, all that sort of stuff. Uh, But we'll see you guys in just a little bit.
and we're back. Uh, so this second part of the uh, the second part of the show, we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about entertaining. Uh, uh, I know a lot of people, uh, home bartenders specifically, have all sorts of questions. There's all sorts of videos. There's a whole lot of bad advice out there. Too much. Um, too, far too much bad advice, um, bad recipes, all that sort of stuff. And we're going to, you know, try to give you some good recipes and some good tips uh, for uh, entertaining and also just like how to how to how to be uh, my, um, <laughs> how to exist how to exist uh, at a bar and and just in in situations where cocktails and and beverages are being consumed uh, I would love to eventually have listener questions uh, this is the first episode we have no listeners however I have a 21 year old brother uh, and my wife has a 21 year old sister and they send in questions so I'm sure that they're gonna be uh, pretty fun to answer. Uh, but first, before we get into that, if you could give somebody one tip for like throwing a cocktail party, mm. what would it be? So I guess this is slightly difficult for me to answer because every time I've thrown a cocktail party, it's been with other bartenders. So I literally just put out a bowl of fruit and various syrups. And then I say, don't touch those bottles, but you can touch these. And then everyone <laughs> goes down. Um, okay. But if I were not a bartender... Um, I'd probably say uh, the best thing to do is to have some sort of uh, pre-mixed option. Uh, and if you... That's also mine. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like, what else are you going to do? It doesn't make sense in the middle of the party to expect everyone to do their own mixing. And the the biggest downfall of every cocktail party that I... Or drinking uh, party that I had been to prior to bartending, which I would not call them cocktails... Um, is, you know, once once you give people a bottle of alcohol, they pour like six ounces into their glass and they get wasted. And then an yeah. hour in, everyone's turned to the point of oblivion. Um, and that's not necessarily a great party. Absolutely. And uh, I would actually uh, I would actually turn that on. My experience is kind of on the other side of it. I like as somebody who like began began bartending and like started being really interested in cocktails pretty early on. Um, I wanted to practice and show off my cocktail skills to my friends. So we had a lot of people over during that time, uh, just like splurging on bottles, way more bottles than I needed so that I could make drinks for my friends. So we'd have a lot of people over like every other week we'd have a party and I would just be making drinks the whole time. That's all you got to do if you're I'd the just bartender. Be in the kitchen. Yeah, I'd just be in the kitchen with all the bottles, making drinks. Uh, and what ended up happening, I was just like cloistered in the in the kitchen making drinks for people. By the time I had made a drink for another person, somebody else was ready for another drink. And I was, you know, happy to do it. I was very excited to do it. But what ended up happening was that I never got to make a drink for myself also. So mm. I ended up taking a lot of shots of booze. <laughs> and I ended up very drunk. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. That's another pitfall is like is uh, if you if you're a home bartender and you're or a new bartender even uh, and you're like really excited to show off your your cocktail skills uh, and and show your friends a good time. Uh, batch your cocktails like make make a make one make a cocktail batch and get some beers too. Yeah. Uh, no, no, people probably shouldn't be drinking cocktails the whole time. Uh so like that's like I love that your your tip was the same as mine because it is just like it's such a pitfall. Yeah. I think it's once you're someone who makes cocktails frequently, it's it becomes kind of obvious in the fact that like it takes me many hours at work to make all these cocktails. There's no reason it wouldn't also take me many hours at home to make all these cocktails. Mm -hmm. Um if you are trying to make cocktails um fresh though like i understand people who want to like shake their drink and have it ready to pour there are lots of great ways to do that whether it is batching uh all of your ingredients but not diluting until you shake over ice uh, or yeah. um making it so if you're at a party you're like okay we have all this stuff ready to go and batched every half hour i'm sending out a new round of drinks you're ready or you're not uh there yeah. th there are ways to uh make it so you're not stuck behind the bar the entire time. Absolutely. 
Um, I also always like behind the bar, I always get questions like, like, do you bartend like this at home? And I'm always, I always have to be like, well, no, like I have to, I have to mop the floor at home. <laughs> well, we also have to mop the floor at work, but no one's paying We have to, to mop the it. floor. We have to mop the floor at work too, but I'm not the one who has to do it. Or like, it's like, there, there are some bars where there are bars that I've worked at where I am the one who has to do it, but like, it's a part of the thing. Like, I don't want to have to like be stepping on sticky mess that I've spilled while like doing all the things that I do as a bartender at work. Also, uh, like, also you don't, don't have, have a well. Yeah. I was literally about to say the same thing. We don't have a yeah. well at home. You don't have a yeah. back bar. You don't have a dishwasher that's made for like food and beverage needs. It, yeah. Literally every time I have to make a cocktail, I have to go over to the freezer and pull out ice. And like, I don't have like an ice well that I can scoop out of. I do have an ice like bucket now but i haven't used it yet i haven't had a an occasion to yeah. i haven't had like a cocktail party or like a party because you know the pandemic yep also all my friends are bartenders now because i moved here knowing zero people and so all the people i know are the people that i work with or people who are adjacent to the people that i work with yeah that's about it but i will say like there are lots of other reasons people don't necessarily drink like that at home like, there are a lot of bartenders who, when they got off of work, all they want is a cheap beer and a shot of something overproof. And that's mm-hmm. not necessarily my go-to, but there are days that i that's all I want. Uh, as someone who works in primarily the cocktail world, and I have to taste test a lot of my drinks at the end of the shift, oftentimes all I want is, like, sparkling wine. Just a glass of something yeah. light, different, not the same thing I'm tasting all day. Uh, it, I also just enjoy spirits, so I... I I used to make a lot of cocktails at home, uh, and I still make cocktails for uh, for my wife, but uh, I primarily make, like, if I'm making myself a cocktail, it's because I've, I'm trying something. Yeah. Typically. It's or, testing stuff out. Or I'll make a, like, quote, unquote, cocktail, and it's just like, all right, I got some gin here, and I've got some vermouth here, and I've got an ice cube, and I'm going to pour it all over it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the- and I'm like, that's a martini. It is. It's more of a martini than a lot of martinis that people order. Uh, but that's another conversation. Yeah, uh, actually, s- stay tuned. <laughs> next next episode, this is a teaser for next episode, uh, Demystifying the Martini with Matt Corzelius. Ooh, that's a good person to listen to for that. Yeah, he's, he's one of the smartest people that I know. Uh, and is also just like, somehow just a well of boundless energy he's also my direct boss um (laughs) so but he's he's also a dear dear friend um so you might you might catch a couple roosevelt room adjacent people early on uh because they're the people that i know good plug yeah um but martinis are probably one of the few cocktails that I feel like I actually make at home every once in a while. Like, yeah, they're, they're so easy to make. They're so good, and also and they're so good. It's my favorite. Like, if you buy a bottle of vermouth, you have to use it in that month anyway. So, uh, well, you don't have to, but you probably should. I I am a little bit of a a snob when it comes to wine and <clears throat> vermouth. Like, I don't know what it is about my palate, but when it goes bad, I can't. I can't do it. I just can't. And I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not snobby in most areas. I at least, I try not to be, and I don't think I am, but that's one of the few things where I'm like, I'll, I don't often buy wine by the glass at restaurants. Cause I'll just not be as happy. And yeah. if I'm going to drink wine, I want to be happy. See, I think this is, this is a hot take. Um, especially because like it, Inviting Matt over next uh, is going to be interesting because he's like a wine guy. He like has gotten certifications for wine and like does a lot of wine stuff. I think wine is fake. Yo, you can't you can't talk like that. I think wine is fake, though. I don't get it. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Like, I'm not even a wine person, and I don't know how to tell you that you're just wrong. <laughs> I kn- like the thing is, the thing is, I know I'm wrong. 
I know I'm wrong. I just don't know enough to to believe I'm wrong. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I get it. I'm not super knowledgeable in wine either. Like, there's a lot of it that's still a mystery to me. But I know it's a thing because there's like literal thousands of years. <laughs> there's a difference between knowing something and believing something. Yeah. I mean, like, like I know that I know that there is like good wine and bad wine. I just d- haven't had enough wine to know the difference. Okay. Personally, I've focused primarily on spirits and and cocktails. So I know like I really know how to do that shit, but like I'm not That's not as blas- not- blasphemous of a statement. Like I can understand the idea of things are good because you like them. And there are lots of reasons to like or not like a thing. And therefore, like, the hierarchy that exists within wine culture could be bullshit. Sure. Yeah, well, I, I, and, and don't get me wrong. I like wine. I just don't get it. Okay. Okay, that makes a little more sense than just, like, it doesn't exist or it isn't no, real. No, no, no. I, I, I don't... Well, I'm not saying that I think... I don't, I'm not saying that I think wine is fake. I think some of the things that go along with wine... Okay. The like okay. some of the snobbery of wine, I think, is fake. Okay. Or at least not our favorite thing about wine. Or at least not my favorite thing about wine. Yeah, I can I can get I can agree with you there. We found common I mean, ground. I, yeah, I also think a lot of spirits is fake. Okay. I mean just like I mean I think I'm understanding your use of the word fake now and I can kind of see where you're going. Whereas <laughs> before it was just kinda like so it's Fake. <laughs> yeah, it, like wine isn't real. <laughs> Stop drinking it. It's 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 imaginary. Yeah, no, like no, birds like, aren't real. No, so that thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, we let's get into. Uh, I have one more segment that I want to throw at you. Okay. Uh, before we get into quote unquote listener questions, uh, and that is common misconceptions about bars Mm -hmm. that tvs and that tv and movies perpetuate yeah uh the word the name of this podcast is bottle episode uh, which is a reference to when a show has an episode that is just on one set for the entire show uh and they don't leave that room and it's called a bottle episode and they often do it as like a filler for you know, budget reasons or whatever. I had no idea um, that's what that meant. I always thought it was yeah. an episode that would like, you wouldn't need to know about the rest of the story. Like it existed in a bottle. <laughs> no, I, well that, that I feel like that explains like a lot of sitcoms Yeah, from, from like the, the, like all, all the times of sitcoms, but especially like the, the like seventies, eighties and nineties. Yeah. But, um, I didn't know that I was really a technical do- term. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I really do want to make, I want to find more ways uh, as this goes on to make this kind of an amalgamation of both my my two favorite things, which is cocktails and television. But uh, so what is a big, uh, like, do you have any like misconceptions from movies or TV that, uh, that you don't like that, that are just like, so frustrating to you as a real bartender. There are so many things. I don't know how we could cover them all in an episode. Uh, I like you. Let's just go with the biggest. Yeah, one. I like you. I'm, I'm very passionate in the world of film, television, all of that. It's you know, if I weren't in the bar world, I think I would probably still be in that that world. So I've watched yeah. and seen a lot of things. I recently uh, rewatched uh, Gilmore Girls uh, as okay. a new mom with a daughter. I was like, let's let's watch something about moms and daughters. Uh, and they did in one of the episodes, the thing that you see the most common in I think just about any episode of television that involves a bar is when uh, someone just yells shots, please, or shots, <laughs> like asking for shots in a bar and then no clarification on any like they could literally the line could just be like whiskey shots and it would make yeah. more sense but 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 they're like shots please and the bartender's like yep doesn't even say anything in like 30 <laughs> seconds shots arrive and the not only is it the the vagueness of that where like literally that couldn't exist in real life someone couldn't just yell shots and receive anything um yeah and then the fact that they always arrive, like, literally a line later. 
Like, in the script, couldn't have someone, like, waited three more lines before anything arrives? Uh, and it's, like, 30 of them. And shots take time. It doesn't matter if it's a straight spirit or, or like, a, a shooter. Like, shots take time. Like, everything takes time to make. Well, I guess if you're, like, sitting at the bar and you're right in front of the bartender, then maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. And then, But, like, 30 of them? Yeah. Uh, and then I think... The only other thing I have to mention as someone who watches television is I'm like 90% sure it was like an episode of The Expanse or something where I think I do love that show. It's a good show. Did you catch this? I think they used a bottle of St. Germain as a scotch bottle and uh, no, I didn't catch that. I'll have to go back and double check that it is The Expanse I am talking about, but I'm 90% sure that that's what it is. And it's just... Like, I don't expect everyone to have the, the spirits knowledge that we have, but by any means. Yeah. Um, and it is a gorgeous bottle. It's a pretty bottle, for sure. But it's, you know, like, the amount of times I see a real brand that's in the show, <clears throat> and then it's a completely different color, or, like, used in the wrong thing. Like, yeah. if you're going to use a real bottle it's probably because you're getting paid promotion to do so and then you should use it correctly then someone from that brand should probably be advising on that situation or just use a whatever fake bottle you have tons of them in the prop house yeah like it's i it's just gonna make people more confused and it looks silly but i don't know i guess it doesn't necessarily hurt like the the existence of bars, the way that the misconception that you can just like yell like a drink at the bartender and in 10 seconds mm-hmm. that drink will arrive. That actually sets people up for uh, yeah, not, people... not being happy with their experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, uh, yeah, people definitely thinking that they can just go like shots and that the bartender won't be like, what shot? <laughs> I don't mean to be blunt, but like literally, is, what? Is, what do you want? Yeah, like awesome, same, but what though? Yeah, <laughs> is is uh, always an interesting, like that, or or just like such a such a frustrating thing that that TVs and mo- TV and movies uh, perpetuate. Uh, mine in particular uh, that I'm gonna, I have several as well, but the one that I'm gonna talk about today is. Maybe my least favorite one, which is just when main character X leans forward on the bar and says, bartender, this drink, please. I don't know. No one, no one ever, please don't refer to the bartender as bartender. We have names and are people. Also, like, I don't not- hear anyone say that. It's not. I've. It's happened to me a couple times. I've also had people like snap at me okay. before and like whistle at me. And the, that's also like that all kind of falls under the same degrading. Yeah. It's just like reducing rude. somebody from like from like person to to set piece. And that's that's always really frustrating to me. I've definitely had somebody refer to me as bartender before. Uh, it's rare. Yeah. But there are. But I feel like that's a thing that like people watch like movies and tv and they think they like don't i feel like a lot of like anybody who's like a young person who is like just now going out to bars also like shouldn't have that as their conception of like what they should do at a bar no absolutely not yeah i hope that that doesn't continue to happen it just yeah it just sounds silly i've never heard someone say that without it sounding absurd and it doesn't like it's so interesting to me also how it doesn't super sound silly in the moment in the show. I think that's usually though cuz actors are good at their job. <laughs> yeah, no that's not a good one. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest misconceptions that that like they just keep writing into scripts. Yeah. That really, it's also like really, really lazy. It's like so lazy. Y- you could you could write a better line than that. Like or just like like because so much about ordering is body language. Yeah. Um, which I think that this is a good a good way to get into some of these questions that we have from uh, my 21-year-old brother and also uh, sister-in-law. The question was, uh, is it better to get the bartender's attention with words slash gestures when, they, when you want to order, or should I just stand at the bar and hope that they notice me? Hmm. I... Uh, and I'm interested to hear your uh, 
your take on this? Well, I think the the first thing you have to say is every bar is different. Um, mm-hmm. Some bars you stand at the bar, some bars you don't. Some bars have, are all seated. Um, some, you know. Both of ours are. Yeah. Um, all seated. But, you know, I've worked in clubs. I've worked in dive bars. I've mm-hmm. worked in sports yeah. bars. I've worked in restaurant bars. I've worked in cocktail bars. Done it all. Um, so depending on the bar, the answer could be very different. Um, I would say if the bartender is busy uh, or you look like you're in deep conversation, like there are definitely times where I'm doing my round at the bar top and I'm like, they seem like they're in it. Or like they don't seem interested in talking to me right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna let them sit chill for a minute rather than approach them. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, if your bartender is a good bartender, um, they're looking to see where where you're at in your drink. If it's a seated bar situation, um, but if you are walking up to the bar to receive a drink, then at least giving them some sort of signal or clue would be great. But honestly. If I were standing at the bar, I have like a list in my head of like, okay, I saw these people come first and then those people come after and those people come after. And if someone is like aggressive about it, there's no other thing to do. Be like, hey, I'm going to be with you in a second. So there's no reason to like yell, yell at someone to be like, excuse me, if as long as they've made eye contact with you at one point. Yeah. And I think that uh, like in terms of like words, maybe if they've if you if you've been there for a hot second. And, like, you know that people before you have been there, like, have been served before you. Then maybe just, like, a, hey, I'd like to order or something like that. Never aggressive. Yeah. Um, But I feel like a gesture is almost, like, a gesture is always fine. But I think eye contact is important. Yeah. Uh, a good bartender, the best bartenders, uh, are always scanning the bar top making sure that they are serving everyone. So what I would recommend is mastering what I call the lean. <laughs> if you're if you're at a non-seated bar, if you're at a seated bar, your server will be with you or your bartender will be with you shortly. But if you are at a uh, in like eye contact and just a little like hi, like raising your hand and just kind of waving uh, as as you make eye contact, I feel like is well within order. But if you are at a bar that doesn't do seated service and you need to go to the bar to or- order, uh, I think, again, master the lean, which is you you kind of like you oftentimes there are folks seated at the bar and you kind of want to like lean in sideways and just kind of like look at the bartender and eventually they will lift their eyes up. They'll scan the bar top when they're ready, typically bartenders are very busy and even if it doesn't seem like they're busy like if they have their eyes down usually if again if they're a good bartender usually if they have their eyes down that means they're busy yeah and when they raise their eyes they're ready to take on the next task and so once they start scanning you you know you make eye contact you you know kind of raise your finger or whatever and Typically, they'll acknowledge you unless there are like unless you're cutting in line. Uh, so that would be my advice: is just like, you know, know how to like kind of lean in, make yourself n- make your presence known. Yeah. But don't don't like, don't be like, hey, I'm trying to order. Yeah. No, especially not that's, that voice. <laughs> oh, you don't like that voice? No, I feel like that voice is the sign of aggression. Um, <laughs> I enjoyed that voice as an experience, um, but <laughs> hey, I'm trying to order here. Yeah, very rarely. Not to hate on anyone with what is that kind of a New Yorker, New Jersey accent. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I would say. A, a, a nice tone is good. Super pro tip. This is not something that always applies, but if you're at a crazy concert or at, um, let's say, a Christmas cocktail bar that does like $35,000 in sales a night, like I once was, uh, and you're, <laughs> um, and the bar top is packed literally with everyone who's trying to order while standing. There's no seated people. There's no like in between. There's nothing but people making drinks. The closer you can get to where the bartender is working, the better because they don't have to move to make you a drink. And the less steps they take, the more time they can spend making drinks. The amount of times, you know, there'd be someone who was just off at far furthest corner from you and there was no way for you to do anything unless you left your station 
which means you can't continue to make drinks while you while you talk and and get an order from people um the best bartenders can absolutely multitask most bartenders mm-hmm. i would say and so if you're able to just be right in front of them then you're going to make their lives a lot easier once again this doesn't really matter nearly as much unless you're in kind of a uh, packed house situation but yeah which we see less and less these days absolutely uh, but for for, you know, for really really dating ourselves with this first episode you know just mid mid pandemic yeah no, someday when we can have crowded bars again. Or yeah. when I feel comfortable in a crowded bar again. Maybe you do. Maybe that's your choice. I, I don't feel super comfortable in a crowded bar, but I don't feel super comfortable. I, ne- I never felt super comfortable in a crowded bar. Yeah, it's stressful. Um, I always prefer a, a, slightly, a slightly chiller vibe. Um, but yeah, I think like as to answer the full question, I feel like, gestures yes as long as they're not aggressive words maybe rarely maybe if the if again if you feel like if you're watching and the bartender has skipped you a couple times then maybe like a hey i'm trying like i would like to order please uh but i think that like aggression really doesn't get you far um which i don't think that this this question asker has like is has aggression in mind but but still yeah but good question yeah absolutely great question uh that one comes from uh my brother i think he asked a couple of his friends as well so he was like some of these are from me some of these are from my friends uh and i'm gonna combine a couple uh questions here um that he also sent me uh if i want a sweet or fruity drink how do i ask for it without seeming young or inexperienced and then also uh, follow up question: Should I refrain from ordering beer at a fancy cocktail bar? Um, the second part is very easy to answer. Feel free to order a beer at a fancy cocktail bar. Order what makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, cocktails are boozy, and you don't want to always drink those all night. There are lots mm-hmm. of reasons to drink different things. Um, I would say a cocktail bar is a great place, though, to try something you haven't tried before. Um, so don't be afraid to go out of your comfort zone. Don't just order a beer because it's the only thing you know. But otherwise, absolutely. Um, and then in terms of uh, ordering a foodie drink uh, or not trying to sound inexperienced, like, I don't think there's any reason why you should be afraid of sounding inexperienced. Like, being very honest with your bartender is going to give them the most information to give you the the product that you're going to enjoy the most if you're someone who's like hey like i want something fruity there are lots of fruity things in the world there are boozy fruity drinks there are juicy fruity drinks they're refreshing and light fruity drinks um if you're looking for something that's easy drinking like something that you're not going to taste your alcohol in because you're not used to drinking alcohol and you want to be able to enjoy it enjoy a beverage and the buzz that comes with it uh, without having to taste the bitter intensity of alcohol, let them know. They're happy to do that. It's not a hard thing to do. Um, but I- yeah, honestly, the more information that you can give the bartender, the better. So, like, yeah, if you want a sweet fruity drink, tell them because we don't we don't care what you drink. Yeah, we just want you we to just want you be happy. Enjoy your drink. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, let's I think we've got time for one more. One that my sister-in-law uh sent in was I feel like a question a lot of people have is uh about mixing the alcohols you're drinking in a night. Is it okay? Is it not okay? What is what's the what's the story with that? Do you have to stick to a specific alcohol? Um, I am not your doctor, nor am I a scientist, but I can give you what it, uh, scientific information I do understand. Um, as far as I have heard, learned, and what I remember from AP Bio, uh, no, it shouldn't make any difference at all. Alcohol is a molecule. Alcohol uh, triggers certain responses within your body. Um, and the kind of alcohol that exists in different liquors isn't different. It's alcohol no matter what. Yeah, it's all alcohol. Um, that being said, different alcohols and different things you mix it with can definitely make you feel differently. Um, whether you're having something that has caffeine in it, something with bubbles in it, something with sugar in it, something with acid in it, um, something with protein in it, all of these things can can have a different 
physical reaction due to whatever dietary situation you're in um, or just because caffeine gives you energy, like obvious stuff like that. Um, so rather than being concerned about how what liquor you are mixing or what kind of alcohol you're mixing, I would say if you're worried about um, overconsumption or uh, feeling sick the next day or having a hangover, the things to really look at are more like how much sugar are you having? Um, yeah. You had a couple drinks, but how many shots did you have? Did you understand that a shot usually has almost as much, if not the same amount of alcohol as an entire cocktail? Um, are, have you had water in any of these drinks? Yeah. Uh, all of these are, are very important in terms of you know, like, how are you going to feel in that evening and the next day? Um, and one cool thing for people that has started to become a trend in our in the cocktail world, which I hadn't really seen before, is uh, ABV of cocktails is now calculable. Like, uh, I don't know if, uh, Lynn, you uh, follow Jeffrey Morgenthaler's blog, but he just put out a... I, I don't, but I did see yeah, it. Yeah, it, he put out a calculator, which is really easy for people to use so that bartenders and bar managers can now calculate the ABV of their beverages. Um, and part of the reason why he wanted to do it is so that you can kind of destigmatize or, like, take the non-alcoholic and low-proof cocktails out of the corner that they've been put in um, and let yeah. them be integrated with the rest of the, the cocktail menu. Um I was literally just talking to to Elise, my wife, about this earlier today it, or yesterday. It's super cool, um, but it's also really helpful in terms of like different people can have different amounts of alcohol and feel a certain way. And what super personal example? I uh, have a young child, um, so she's breastfeeding, and I can have a certain amount of drinks during a day if I have a certain amount of hours before I breastfeed her. Um, and then, you know, there are plenty of people who go get a drink after work, but, you know, they have to drive home. And how much time do they need to wait after they have a drink to drive so that they are completely sober to do so? There, there are so many, whether they're medical or personal or just like, you don't need to justify why you are or aren't drinking the, ever, the amount that you are or aren't drinking. Like, that shouldn't be an issue for anyone. So uh, it's exciting to see the ABV, alcohol by volume, for those who don't know, um, listed, because that can help give you better choices on uh, the amount of alcohol you're actually going to intake. Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely awesome. Uh, and yeah, those are the factors. The factors are sugar, the amount of water you've had, the amount of drinks that you've had, and whether or not you've had food. Yeah. Um, those are the, like, the biggest indicators of, of whether or not you're gonna have a bad time the next day yeah also um, remember though that the amount of water you drink doesn't necessarily make you less drunk that night it just makes you feel not. better the next day absolutely not um uh, yeah it's the people who are like oh i had a glass of water i'm like that doesn't matter have another one for 30 minutes and then we'll talk yeah time is the only thing like once you are a certain level of drunk Time is the only thing that makes you less drunk. No amount of food or water or anything will make you less drunk, biologically speaking, scientifically speaking. You are inebriated until you're not, and that's a that's a that's a clock thing. Yeah. Not a you can't really do anything to you stop. You can't it. fix that. I'm sorry, you're you're in too deep. Yeah. So as far as mixing things, have at it. Uh, get that Long Island. Yeah, get that Long Island. Drink a whiskey drink and then a vodka drink and then a tequila drink, but drink it responsibly. Very important. Yeah, I feel like this should be a disclaimer at the top of the episode. This is a this is a podcast about alcohol for people who are drink, twenty one and older. For people who are twenty one and older, drink responsibly. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that is about all the time that we have. And I feel like that's a good note to end yeah, on. Yeah, very important note. Uh, Kara, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your evening to record with me and uh, and spread some of your uh, wisdom and knowledge uh, to all these folks who will hopefully be listening to this podcast. Um, 
do you have anything that you'd like to to plug this evening? Anything that you're working on or anything you want to want people to check out? Um, not necessarily. I do want to say I love that you're doing this podcast because I've always wanted there to be a resource for young drinkers to be able to enter the world of bars in a knowledgeable way. Like, I don't need you to know about, you know, what the mash build of this whiskey is, but like having a space where you can learn like, hey, this is what this spirit is and this is how I act at a bar. I think most people could have used that. And if that were around for the majority of drinkers that I see now, people would be a lot more comfortable and willing to try new stuff. So thank you for doing this. Oh, thank you for, thank you for, again, thank you for joining me. Uh, first episode down, I feel like it went pretty well. We'll see how it is when I edit it. I'm sure it'll be great. But yeah, I'm sure I lost the plot a little bit. Uh, but we can blame the jungle I'm, birds. We can blame the jungle birds and I'm going to, uh, uh, yeah, but it was, it was a lot of fun talking with you. It always is. So, uh, I, I'll go ahead and plug a couple things. Um, if, you would like a tutorial on how to uh, make this drink, you could check out the uh, TikTok bottle episode pod. I'll have a video tutorial on how to make this drink with recipes. Also, if you know how to make drinks and you want to just read it, I will have the recipe for this drink in the show description. Uh, And uh, if you have questions, uh, check out uh, or send me a message at either bottle episode pod at gmail.com or bottle episode pod on Instagram. You can DM me uh, plenty of plenty of options for places to send me questions and engage us uh, here at bottle episode. Uh, but this will that'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for joining us uh, and we will see you in a couple weeks.